All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are back for another Boca Podcast episode uh, with a return guest. We are privileged to have Laila Amadi back. Uh, she joined us back in episode 204, talking about minimizing burnout. Today, we're jumping to a whole brand new topic, which I'll share in just a bit. But thanks for hanging out with me again, Laila. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. We're going to actually dig into something that... Um, might ruffle a few feathers, actually. We're going to be talking about how to know if you should be an educator. This is a a massive trend that we've seen. You and I had the opportunity to chat a little bit about this um, off air, but we've been seeing this really for a number of years now. Um, and in fact, I can remember back when I was shooting in 2000, uh, let's see, I started sh- shooting in 2001, I think 2005, 2006, maybe a little bit later, um, is when I tried to get on stage as well. And in hindsight, I realized my motivation for getting on stage wasn't all that great. And based on our conversation lately, and um, I'm Mm -hmm. sure we're going to get into this in a little bit more detail, it seems as though maybe not everyone's motivation for becoming an educator is what is most valuable to everyone uh, involved in the conversation. And as a result, we're maybe not bringing the type of value we should be standing on stage kind of establishing ourselves as an expert, commenting on this topic or that. And uh, so anyway, we're going to get into this idea of knowing whether or not you should be an educator, what kind of questions to be asking. Uh, We'll get into this in in much more detail in just a few minutes. But I want to kind of backtrack for a second, because there are a few questions that we've been asking on the podcast as of late that I didn't have the chance to ask you in our first interview together. And I want to start with customer experience. You're, um, You're a photographer and an educator. But I'm curious from your experience, what what would you say is one of the most important principles that enables you to be a or to offer a better customer experience? I love that question. I feel like my answer is kind of cheesy or even maybe a little bit pedestrian to some. But honestly, I feel like creating that kind of experience, I always like to put myself in the shoes of my clients and whatever expectation I would hold for myself as the business owner, I would want to exceed. And so Mm. that's kind of, I guess my quick answer that sounds a little cheesy, but it's true. No, but it's helped me a lot. Empathy or the idea of putting yourself in someone else's shoes and at least attempting to kind of feel what they do or experience what they do, look at it from their perspective Uh, This is a massive component of being a good business owner. It's something that we think about or talk about quite a bit at Photographer's Edit and the the user experience and the website and ultimately the experience, the service that we're offering to photographers. And I I empathize quite significantly with photographers having been there, but I I think just because that's a tendency that I have is I, I, I can feel what other people are feeling. I think we need to do this more often though. Can, can you explain a little bit more tangibly or practically what this looks like? Like how do you apply this, this idea to the day-to-day experience in your business? Absolutely. I feel, I mean, empathy is such an underrated trait for any business owner to have and to implement within their business practices. Um, a couple of things that are tangible that I have done that have really helped me. It's, I feel like it's possibly easier for you to put yourself into somebody else's shoes once you've experienced what they've experienced. So for you, for example, as a former photographer who now works with photographers, it's a little bit easier. Fair. So what I do is I've found that investing in hiring a photographer for myself, it's a hard thing for for us as photographers to do, because we have a lot of friends we could trade photos with, Mm. whatever comes easier. You feel like, okay, I'll save a little bit of money and do a swap. And I understand the appeal of that. But I think that there's a lot to be said for 
investing in other photographers, going through their process, making sure that what you're experiencing you're taking notes on that and thinking, okay, well, I really wish that this would have happened, or I really enjoyed this aspect of it. For me in particular, I found that I've discovered my strong points as a photographer by working with other photographers. For example, I struggle a lot with with posing in front of a camera. And if I've had several photographers just expect me to do my own posing and not encourage me and not speak to me, and I've been able to implement that into my practices with my clients. Wow. That, you know, honestly, I would, I don't know that I would have ever thought of that or had I ever thought about it before, because first of all, the idea of spending, like you said, spending money on a photographer when you could probably get that somehow. I mean, I'm even guilty of setting the camera up on a tripod and, you know, putting it on the timer in years past, but (laughs) actually going through that, the, the whole process of hiring somebody, feeling what it's like to be in front of the camera, interacting with that photographer as a client, that, that would really bring wonderful perspective. Perspective is everything. And it would bring pr- perspective that hopefully would lend itself to enabling us to improve the customer experience. So that's a really great recommendation. Everybody listening in, go go try this out. This is, and not to mention, the, of course, the wonderful benefit that you get some new prints on your wall at home, but um, that's a really great suggestion. I was just going to say, I mean, I think that it's even worth going through it just to see the pain points that your clients are experiencing. A lot of times we show up to photo shoots and we don't understand, especially for the family photographers out there. A hot topic is always like, I don't understand why these parents are so stressed out all the time. Like, calm down. It's just photos. But when you are in their shoes and you're like, the outfits are all a mess and your kids are throwing a fit and there's so much going on. I mean, you really do. You're able to see it through a whole nother lens. So I, I do think it's worth it. That's a lovely, lovely recommendation. And speaking of recommendations, outsourcing, delegating, this is something we've been talking about on the podcast more this this year, the 2020 season. And yeah. uh, I'm curious if there's something in your business that you are consciously outsourcing or delegating for the sake of creating a little bit more space, time, freedom for yourself. Absolutely. I mean, what don't I outsource at this point? I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> I'm such a fan of outsourcing. I, as as you mentioned, the last time I was on this podcast was, I guess it was a couple of years ago at this point, but we talked about burnout and preventing burnout. And so I've really tried to be um, really intentional about outsourcing what I can. And honestly, if I, if there is something that someone else can do as well as I can do, I'm sending it out. So my editing, the majority of that is being outsourced for photography. I have a part-time assistant who fields my inbox. That has been monumentally helpful. I have a, I, I kind of have a small team of part-time contractors. That's that's just been great to kind of lean into their strong suits and and kind of outsource anything that just takes up space on my calendar that somebody else can do just as well as I can. Beautiful. And how, I mean, how many hours do you think you save on average in a week just through this delegation that you're doing? Um, week to week. I mean, it, it, differs, but it differs, but on average, I would say I'm probably saving about 20 hours a week. Wow. You know, that's interesting you bring that number up because the hunch, and I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, the hunch that I've had um, is, is that photographers talking about being, quote, busy in this day and age, especially wedding photographers, who, you know, on average, maybe just shoot once a weekend or once every two or three weekends. I'm a little bit confused, honestly, at times when I hear that they're so busy, because if if we're running our business efficiently, and part of that efficiency should include delegation to an individual, to a third-party company, 
uh, where we don't have to do that busy work ourselves. We're focused on what's going to actually grow our business and we kind of delegate the rest. It, it, you could work as little as 20 hours in a week, 15, 20 hours in a week if you're if you're doing so with the right systems in place and you're doing so intentionally. And intention is is massive um, when it comes to working efficiently. But I, it's if you're saving 20 hours a week, that that gives you a significant amount of freedom, whether it's to watch Netflix or spend time with the important people in your life or do something that's going to actually move your business forward. That's a massive chunk of time. You know, when it comes to the editing, I know with wedding photographers, I think the average is somewhere around, I, I think it starts around 12 hours and goes up from there, 12 to 16 hours that a wedding photographer who is not delegating or outsourcing their editing work is spending processing a wedding. And you multiply that out times 20, 30, 40 weddings a year, and it's just a nightmarish amount of time that is being, I think, in some ways wasted. It's good to be aware of how you're shooting. It's good to be aware of how to edit if necessary. But sitting in front of the computer is not growing your business, and it's certainly minimizing the amount of freedom that you have. So why not delegate it? And, of course, that's just one example. There's so many different things, as Lately pointed out, that we can delegate, we can outsource. And you could save as much as 10, 15, 20 hours a week. Um, And this is a really great reminder. Absolutely. And I think interestingly enough, editing is something that a lot of photographers that I work with struggle to let go of. But I always, I always pose the question to them, like, if you're trying to be productive for the hours that you're spending in front of your computer and you're editing a wedding, weddings in particular, I mean, we both know that we're shooting so many images and we're wanting to over deliver, um, which means that in one setting, you could have a hundred photos in one setting that somebody else could easily be, you know, going through and tweaking and perfecting. That's not something that you have to do. It's really not. So I think it's interesting to kind of go through and see, okay, so if I'm spending eight hours in front of my computer, how many of those hours are truly productive? How many of them are just like staring off into space? How many of them are just doing kind of a repetitive action or motion that somebody else could duplicate for me. So that's why I like to think about, you know, like emails and editing are two of my uh, top recommendations for people to kind of go through and outsource because you can see a repetition and then have somebody replicate that for you. You know, it's funny you talk about staring out into space. Uh, I never thought about it this way, but I'm glad you bring this up. You hear or see photographers talking about watching. It seems like the, the, the most popular one, maybe the most common is to talk about putting on Netflix while they edit or putting on Netflix while they, you know, fill in the blank. It seems like it's usually editing, but Mm -hmm. if, if whatever task you are trying to accomplish takes so little concentration that you can stick a movie or a show on in the background, that likely, I mean, to your point lately is something that doesn't absolutely or actually require your involvement as a photographer. Go ahead and let somebody else take care of that. Go actually focus on the show or do something that does require your attention, a little bit of creativity that might require your name, your brand, your face in front of it. Focus on those things that are going to actually move your business forward. Um, I, I, I really like that perspective. So I appreciate you bringing that up. And moving on to another question though, inspiration. So, you know, in, inspiration is something that uh, I think we as photographers, maybe to, to a fault, enjoy. We, we like finding, quote, inspiration through people, through their Instagram accounts, their photography, or you know, just a, a simple quote on, in, on Instagram or Facebook, whatever it might be. But is there something outside of the photography industry that inspires you, that enables you to be more creative or more thoughtful as a business owner? 
Yeah, absolutely. In my background in particular, as a former dancer and dance teacher, uh, obviously like the arts in general are really inspirational to me, visual arts as well as music and just being able to kind of like intentionally take time to either take in like a really great piece of choreography, go to a workout class because, you know, once I get moving, I feel a lot of inspiration happen there. I, I believe really strongly in like the mind, body, soul connection of if you're in motion, your brain is in motion. And uh, so that inspires me a lot. Going to art museums is really inspirational. I, I try to do that like once a quarter with a group of my entrepreneur friends. We just go grab lunch, go to a museum, take in an exhibit. So really just kind of finding that art inspiration is really helpful to me. And then on the flip side, a business inspiration where I get a lot of ideas for uh, like new business ventures or adding on services to my current business uh, services and my offerings. I, I would say obviously like I read a lot, taking in a lot of podcasts, um, but taking them in in times where I can actually focus on them. So if I'm doing cardio at the gym, if I'm driving, definitely not when I'm editing, definitely not when I'm working on emails. (laughs) I cannot multi. I don't know how people. I know. Listening to the if they're listening, like if you guys are listening to this and answering emails and working, I don't know how you're multitasking because I I certainly can't. (laughs) Well, and I don't think most people actually can. I'm sure there's you know there's always an exception to something, and that's the person that's going to get pissed off, but. The, the reality is that the, the so-called multitasking that we're doing, it's just, if nothing else, you may be able to jump from Netflix and then glance at your screen and type five more words in that email and then quickly shift screens and you know edit three pictures while that movie's continuing to play in the background. And then your eye shifts back to the screen and you're watching that for five minutes and you're like, oh, that's really cool. I need to look that thing up. And then you go to your browser and you pull, like <laughs> these things are all happening. And yes, you can do them one by one. But you're only spending about three minutes focusing on each of those, which means you're not really actually giving that much to it. So how much are you actually giving to your business? And is it really benefiting it? But I still, I love this point because I never thought about it this way. The fact that they're able to, quote, stare off in space and you know, figuratively or literally, that would indicate that they don't really need to be doing that and, and could just give that to somebody else. That's the first place I'd start. But if you are going to do your own editing, you're going to do your own email or otherwise, focus on that because what you bring to that particular task is going to be significantly more. So anyway, I, I don't want to go on a tangent too much lately, but I'm, it, is, it is a massive question mark in my mind as well, because I don't actually think most people can effectively multitask um, without affecting their efficiency. No, yeah. I mean, I think it's such a myth that you that you can multitask and be fine. And I also think it's a myth and kind of a lie that we tell ourselves that if we're working eight hours in front of a computer, that we're truly working those eight hours. Oh, yeah. That whole stare off into space thing is something I harp on. So I'm I'm glad that you that it caught it caught your ear because yes. it's something that I teach on with my time management students. I I work a lot on um, helping people kind of craft schedules that work for them. And I when I have people track their time if they take a pause and that and i have them track like how long did you pause and just sit there and decide on what you're doing next and you know you're wasting 10 15 20 minutes at a time and if there's a show on at the same time you could potentially waste 30 minutes like yeah. you know so it's interesting it's true i mean we we aren't actually as busy as we tend to suggest we are um, many times i think in the industry and there are ways to go about working more efficiently so that you can cut that working time by 10, 15, 20, you know, five, 50, even a hundred percent if you want. Well, not hundred percent, but I, I'm thinking just half, like if you've got this, so I guess 50%, um, my math is struggling today, but like cut that time by half. If you're working 40 hours a week, cut it by, you know, 50% and, 
and now you're you're down to just 20. What could you do with those additional 20 hours, personally, professionally, or otherwise? It's, it's amazing to think about. But even if you're just cutting it by five hours, what you can do with five hours, just because you actually focused on the task at hand, it's it's quite significant. We spent a lot of time talking about this, this idea of efficiency, how to go about it on the podcast. For those of you listening in, if you go to bocapodcast.com and get into the episodes, you can actually search for uh, workflow episodes specifically geared around workflow. In fact, we have a whole series called Workflow Wednesday, even that is largely focused on the significance of efficiency, how to work efficiently. Make sure you check out some of that content. There's a lot of it there. But I want to keep moving though, too, lately, because we we have a lot, uh, a pretty big topic actually to get into here. And and I want to go kind of hit the rewind button for a second. I know that I I launched the. Uh, this episode and kind of a giddy mode, you know, talking about ruffling feathers about people getting into the education game. Uh, I want to be really clear. First of all, the last thing, and I know Laylee feels the same, she can speak to, to it for herself, but the last thing that we want to do in this episode is to come across judgy or to put ourselves on a pedestal and look down on, on anyone. We have a genuine concern for the sake of the industry that uh, those who are choosing to get into education uh, are doing it for the best of reasons for their own kind of big picture goals, number one. And two, if they are going to get into the education uh, realm in the photography industry, that they're bringing real value to the industry. And when I think about value, Lane, and I'd love to get your take on this. First of all, I think about the information being brought. Uh, one of the things that that I've seen in education is that the information being shared is not presented in a way that is actionable or practical. In fact, a lot of there's a lot of time being spent in presentations right now more on kind of inspirational ideas versus something that a photographer could, can take and go apply to their business and see tangible results from. Um, so I'm thinking about, when I think about value, I'm thinking about actionable information. I'm thinking about the quality of the presentation itself. Does the person know how to effectively design slides and to communicate the information represented by those slides in a way that will resonate with their audience, that they know how to design a slide that's not distracting, um, i.e., you know, you see a lot of photographers that are popping their phone up at, at conferences now, just taking a snapshot of the screen because it's all there, five paragraphs on screen, but you know they're never going to go back to that. But because they took a snapshot of it, now they've also checked out, so they're not really paying attention. Uh, these are the kind of details that you have to think about. Does the person know how to carry themselves on stage and make eye contact with with the crowd? What kind of energy do they bring to the presentation? I mean, there there's so many factors here, uh, but ultimately, uh, and, and again, I'm going to let Laylee speak for herself here, but I, I want everybody to know that this conversation is rooted in a desire for the industry to get as much value um, from this education realm as possible the speaker for the sake of their bigger picture goals, making sure that, that getting an education actually supports those goals. And, and two, um, that the industry is getting value from those getting into education. And, and I'll leave it at that, Lady. I'll, I'll stop rambling. I, I would love your take on this just at the outset before we get into some of the, the details. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I uh, agree 100% with with that entire kind of introduction to the topic. I think that it's really easy to listen into this and think, right off the bat before even hearing us delve in like, oh, this is going to be a conversation that is encouraging me to not move forward with my goals. And that's not at all what we're doing here. I think that there is cause for slight concern um, just at the sheer amount of people who are pursuing education not necessarily in the right way. And so that's kind of my goal overall. And we'll we'll I'm sure get into that a little bit later. But my goal is to just kind of do my part 
to move our industry forward, to continue to kind of encourage people to keep our industry um, as high level as possible so that we are providing that kind of tangible and actionable education and, and not letting the wrong motivators kind of push us forward yeah. to create kind of lackluster education for lack of a better word. Yeah. Well, and, and to that point, and, and again, just to, to make sure that nobody thinks that, you know, we're, we're kind of setting ourselves on a pedestal here. When I got, I alluded earlier to the fact that I got into, um, or I had the opportunities, I should say, to speak at conferences back a number of years ago. It's probably, well, beginning, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago or so. And, and frankly, a lot of it was driven by ego initially. I, I, you know, the idea of getting to be up on stage, it was just an exciting thing and to have a little bit of notoriety and to be talked about by photographers and, and, and maybe by a company, you know, Pictage, for example, was an online gallery system that no longer exists, unfortunately, but back in the day, they were an amazing company and they were asking myself and and my partner at the time to, to come and speak. And it was a really cool opportunity. It was exhilarating, but the irony was that it was doing nothing and absolutely nothing really for my actual business, which was being a photographer. It wasn't in any way impressing my clients. They didn't know about us. This was before social media became a big thing anyway. So me being up on stage, speaking to other photographers was in no way increasing my bottom line or the popularity of my brand amongst my potential clients. And that at the time was really my my goal. I needed to make a living and I wanted to do it being a photographer. And, and so, and yet... Um, I wasn't really asking, does it make sense that I'm putting this time and effort and energy into trying to get up on stage, looking at my bigger picture goal? And and so that's what I'm talking about when when we're, at least personally, and again, I, I, I feel like I'm kind of overstepping lately here at this point because I want her to, to lead this conversation, but I just want to make sure everybody understands that the motivation here, um, that the goal is, yes, to make sure, number one, the motivation is a good one. It's a positive one that's both valuable for the speaker and the end listener, and then that the approach to education is one that's ultimately valuable to the photographer. And this is a little bit of a tangent lately, but I, I would like to get your take on this. There's been a shift as far as the content being presented at conferences, um, quite a significant shift in the direction of, shall we say, inspirational content or content around, uh, I mean, lately that, you know, of course, the thing to talk about is you are enough and, and all these presentations around this, I, this notion of you're enough. You can be a business owner, you can be a photographer, you are enough. And um, whether it's that topic or others, inspirational content seems to be a major focus. And, and, and unfortunately, I think in some cases, to the detriment of those attending, I, I was just at a conference that somebody came up to me and they were like, I, that, that was just kind of fluff. And I think they actually use that word fluff. Uh, referencing this this more inspirational presentation, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I wonder if we're kind of getting skewed, maybe a bit too far in the in the wrong direction for photographers who want to learn how to better run their business. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I would have to agree with that. I feel like a lot of times, and and don't get me wrong here, there is room for inspirational talks, like you mentioned. There's definitely room for that. There's a place for that. For sure. There's a there's a need for that, but there's also a need for balance. So. What I like to talk about in terms of of keynote speakers is that we tend to see that shift that keynotes are um, inspiration. And then it's the breakouts that are tangible. My belief, my thought process is all talks should have a tangible takeaway. Is it important to use storytelling? Absolutely. Is it important to inspire, motivate, um, mobilize your audience? 100%, of course. But you've also got to have something that's going to help them move forward. And I think like the, you know, the heavy hitters, the really big speakers who are incredible every time, 
they are inspiring us with their stories. They're moving us, sometimes moving us to tears, which by the way, is a whole nother thing. Like you don't have to make somebody cry to be good. (laughs) I don't know why that's like a gauge. It's like become a weird, really weird gauge of like, is this speaker great? Well, get your tissues ready. Okay. You can make them laugh and still mobilize them. But yeah, I mean, there's a mix. Um, The really, really high level speakers are inspiring you, but they're also giving you like, here's some steps. Here's some action steps. Here's some things that will actually help you move forward in your business because girls got to eat. You've got to pay your bills. Let's get you there. Here's my story of, you know, that you can um, kind of relate to or that will resonate with you in some way. And then let's get you moving. So, so I would agree with that. I mean, I think that it's a weird, it's become kind of like a, a weird, odd little shift, especially in the creative industry. Well, and, and I don't know, I wonder too, is it easier in many cases for photographers to tell some stories, kind of be vulnerable? And again, not to minimize that in any way, but then to actually go about the process of putting together a presentation based on their business experience or based on their experience as a photographer, put together a, a course or a presentation that has depth to it when it comes to practical, applicable information for the sake of their listeners building a stronger business. I wonder about that. Now, I think a presentation well done when it comes to you know delving into the psychology behind running a great business or learning how to develop yourself as an individual for the sake of being a better business owner can also take a significant amount of work um, and, and for that matter, experience. But um, I, it's, it's to, to play on this idea that the photographer... Uh, said to me at this recent conference, I, I think there is a lot of fluff that's easy to say. And it's in, in some of the ideas represented may even be important. But at the end of the day, the depth of that information and ultimately the application or the opportunity for application for the sake of bettering that person's, not only their personal life, but their business ultimately is not always there. And so I just wanted to bring that up. And, and if nothing else, for everybody listening in, let this at least be food for thought. Um, I know that everybody's going to be looking in one way or another, even if there's slight differences, they're going to be looking for different types of value when they go to conferences or they hear an individual speaker. I absolutely realize and respect that. Um, Again, what we're trying to encourage here is at least the beginnings of a conversation around this idea of becoming an educator because it is so popular. And I can't tell you the number of photographers that I've spoken to in the last year or so that have talked about how they're getting into education and uh, so we want to make sure the motivation there is right. We also want to make sure that the content being brought is extremely valuable. But I, I want to ask kind of my first main question in regards to this topic lately, and that is um, the reasons behind the seeming popularity to, to flock to education, being an educator, offering online courses or becoming a speaker or some combination of the above. What do you think are um, a couple of just really important reasons why or significant reasons, I should say, why people are moving in this direction as of late? Yeah, I feel like um, there's there's a couple different reasons. I mean, there's several, but what I've been seeing primarily is we have people who are wanting to get into education either to elevate themselves, uh, and and I don't necessarily mean that they're feeding their ego. I mean, it's definitely a possibility, um, but you know, elevating themselves within the industry because they've seen that. They they have seen other speakers take the stage or other educators kind of come to the forefront of social media or wherever they're hanging out. And they think that's the next step. That is the top of the mountain. That's where I'm going. We don't work for corporations. We work for ourselves. Um, in a corporate world, you're climbing the ladder, right? And so I think that a lot of times people see educators as being at the top of the ladder and they're like, that's where I need to end up. They don't necessarily put the thought in to say like, 
okay, well, do I actually want to be an educator or is it just that that's where I think all the successful people are. So that's kind of one one reason that I've seen people kind of seek it out. Another would be uh, wanting to just kind of like diversify their income streams, which there's absolutely nothing wrong with. I'm an advocate of we need to have value for our expertise and to hold value in what we do and to be able to kind of make, I mean, not kind of make a living on what we're doing if we're doing it well. And then probably like the last primary reason I see people wanting to get into education is that they just kind of have this passion for helping people, which I, I will say there are different pockets within our photography industry of small communities, right? And so some of those small communities within the photography industry are very much, you know, uh, consumer driven or client driven, finance driven. Then there's like a pocket of the really heartfelt, heart driven. And that's kind of, it's wherever you're, wherever you're spending your time, you're being inundated with these messages. And I think that a lot of people have been hearing the messages of, I have the heart to serve others. And so I'm going to teach what I know. And so just kind of like the passion for sharing their story. And again, I mean, the ego does kind of play a little bit into that. Sure. Uh, do I think that, that that's bad? Not necessarily. Uh, do I think it's something that you need to be aware of? Absolutely. I mean, I just right. think that being self-aware is like step one and being successful. But those are kind of the few primary reasons that I've noticed uh, doing what I do. Yeah. And I'm glad that you emphasize the fact that the ego isn't necessarily bad. We, we all have, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it, it's funny how even those things that we might first categorize as uh, focused on serving others, ultimately there is some benefit in, in our effort to, to serve even. I mean, we know that that's going to come back to us in one form or another. And whether that's at the back back of our mind or the forefront of our mind, there is, there is a realization there. I, I don't think that that ultimately... Um, has to skew the genuine desire at the root of somebody wanting to share to to add value in some way, whether it's emotional or you know very practical in nature as far as running a business is concerned. Um, I don't think it has to skew the the underlying motivation just because there happens to be a little bit of ego attached. I think we're all um, I, I hate to use the even word guilty here, but we're all guilty of that in one form or another. So I, I don't want to to put too much weight on that, but I do wonder if. You know, you talk about the significance of self-awareness, and, and this is honestly an ongoing conversation, internal conversation for me as well. Is the so-called desire to serve really the primary reason, or ultimately, is there this, this insecurity and, and a desire for reassurance, for, for praise, for adulation, or adulation, I should say, at the, at the root of this? Uh, and, and I really, I'll just kind of leave that as an open-ended question it's going to be different for everybody. This is a conversation that that I have to that I'm even considering now. In fact, I was just having a conversation with with Haley earlier today, and as we're working on content, we're talking about the idea of me being out in front of and representing the the brand, my brands, Photographers Edit, the Book of Podcast, uh, you know, Milu, even more than I already have been. Uh, one of the things that I, I literally just this morning I was stressing with her is like, I, look. As we do this, please understand, I don't have a desire to be out there just for the sake of being out there to, to be a name. Um, at the root of all this is just a, a desire to add value. And as long as we're constantly checking in with ourselves and and evaluating our motivation, making sure that it's in the right place, and ultimately only we can do that effectively, um, then then I, I think that's a, at least a great place to start. What, what are your thoughts on that? How do you think we can honestly evaluate ourselves? Or we probably need to encourage others to give us, those closest to us to give us feedback too, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think kind of a key factor here is 
being honest with ourselves and like I said, being self-aware, but really what you want to do is kind of take down the defenses that build up in your mind. So a lot of times I work with people, a lot of my students that I coach through who are becoming educators or who are on that path. I mean, I, it's like, I have to pull it out of them. Like, why do you want to do this? And they're like, well, I would do it for free. I just want to share my story. I want to help people. And that, that can be a primary motivator. I'm not saying that doesn't exist. And I definitely do think it does. But I also think that the majority of people who start off saying that have been trained by our society and our surroundings to say, my heart is just to serve, just to serve and not take. And I, I kind of walk them through this process of, put that defensiveness down. I'm not accusing you of having ulterior motives. Hmm. There's nothing, there is no shame in saying, I feel that I have an area of expertise to share. I feel that I have a story to share that can impact others. And I would like to make a living to serve the life that I love and the family that I have to support. There's, there's nothing wrong with those things coexisting. And so I just think like breaking down those defenses within your own mind would be the first thing I would encourage anybody who's listening to do and just say, you know, you don't have to kind of qualify everything you say with, with this statement of, I love it so much. I would do it for free. I hear that so often. I just want to be on the stage. I feel like I, I could, I have a lot of impact. And I don't really want anything out of it. And I, I would just encourage you take a deeper look, drop your defenses down and understand that there is absolutely nothing wrong with having a heart to help others and also having a need to live. Yeah. And to, to feel something. I mean, there's, you know, Tony Robbins talks about the, the various needs that humans, that human beings have. One of those is significance. And there's, there's no denying that, that we're all going to feel significant in some way. If we have the opportunity to be in front of a group of people share and hear that we've somehow impacted them or made a difference. Um, and, and that can ultimately be extremely fulfilling. And and I can understand why. I mean, I look at somebody like Gary Vaynerchuk, who many of us probably know, who speaks to this, this topic of ego and the role that it plays, even in what he does. You can see that he's got a bit of an ego. He's He's aware of it. He'll speak to it. But simultaneously, he also speaks to the significant amount of fulfillment that he gets from adding value to other people's lives. So the two things can coexist, especially, um, and I think they can coexist in a healthy way, especially if you're willing to be honest with yourself and honest with others um, about the motivation at hand. Again, I would I would encourage everybody to do a little bit of, you know, taking, as Layla was pointing out, taking a step back, looking at a deeper level at your motivation, and maybe invite a friend or two in or a family member who knows you really well, who's willing to give you objective feedback and help you talk through this so that you are keenly aware of the motivation at hand before you take the next step. Um, and and so I, I'll leave it at that. But I want to jump to the next question lately. Can everybody, maybe this is too simplistic a question, but I'm curious, can everybody be an educator? If so, why? If not, why not? I actually really like this question. Um, I think simple is a really great place to start for anybody who's who's kind of tuning in to see what, you know, how they feel about it. Can anybody be an educator? I believe, yes, they can. Should everybody be an educator? Absolutely not. And I say that really bluntly just to uh, kind of put out there that we, I mean, I truly do believe that anybody can seek out some type of educational offering. There are so many ways to offer education aside from getting on a stage and being a public speaker or creating an online course or being a one-on-one mentor. There's so many different facets of educational offerings that you could um, kind of pursue. But should you be an educator? 
that's kind of where the question lies. And I feel like the why or why not of it is, again, kind of taking that step into where's my self-awareness? Am I truly an expert in what I'm wanting to offer? Is my education tried and true? Uh, When I say tried and true, have I helped other people find success or create impact with it? Those are kind of some of the questions that I would pose to anybody who's considering stepping into the role or seeking out the role of educator. Uh, The very first thing I would say was, uh, you know, like, are you truly an expert? And if you're, if you're not sure, you know, dig into that a little bit deeper. Um, And then think back to when you were growing into the, into kind of the role of an expert in your field, what all went into becoming an expert in your craft. If you're a photographer, which all of our listeners probably are right now, you know, how long did it take you to become an expert in whatever it is within your photography or your business? That's about how long it's going to take you to become an expert educator. So just kind of posing those few questions to see, I guess, the motivators and the area of expertise that you have, those kind of collectively should guide you in the answer of, should I be an educator or not? Now, the can I, I mean, through hard work, research, and, you know, lots of practice, I think anybody could offer some type of education. It, it kind of just comes down to the should for me. Yeah, the, the tools can be learned. And, and I think that's a great point. And, and I also think it's a, a great distinction that you made between being a photographer and an educator, because it's actually not one and the same. And unfortunately, I've seen over the last, you know, almost 20 years in the, the industry, you go to a conference or workshop, and you have somebody standing up in front of you, talking about whatever the topic, they may be a really talented photographer. Their work speaks for itself. Maybe they have a really successful business and they, they actually have money in the bank to, to, to back that up, but they don't have the tools. They haven't learned the tools, I should say, because it's not that they can't learn them, but they haven't learned the tools um, necessary to enable them to be the most effective communicator of whatever the idea, the topic at hand And that actually is a detriment to those who are like, man, I want to go learn to be like so-and-so. I want to learn from so-and-so. I want to learn their photographic technique. I want to learn how to be, you know, the type of business owner that they are in my market in context of my goals. But they go to this presentation and, and while, again, this person may be a talented business owner, they may be a talented photographer, they don't have the tools in their toolbox to actually communicate the principles that they're applying in their own lives effectively to the audience at hand. So I'm glad that you make the distinction um, between, first of all, photographer and speaker, and then highlight the importance of or the, the reality, which is that we can learn the tools. It's just a matter of actually learning them and understanding that it does require certain tools in order to be a good educator. It's not just, hey, I did this thing, so I'm going to talk about it. Because just talking about it uh, blindly, you know, whether it's through poorly designed slides or or ideas that aren't cohesive or don't flow well together can largely just turning into a ram- rambling session and uh, not be a pretty very significant value add to those that are listening in. Let's get more specific, though. I mean, what makes a good educator for our photography industry? Can you share a few of those characteristics? Yeah, of course. Um, I think, and just to kind of touch on touch on the last point that you yeah. made, I think that it's really interesting to see people kind of hit a wall. And I would love to kind of share some encouragement if you're listening in and you're like, okay, well, when I, when I say it will probably take you as long to grow and cultivate your skills as a teacher, as it take, as it has taken you to grow into an expert, um, within your photography business, I'm not saying you shouldn't pursue it. I'm just saying you need to put that same care into cultivating those skills and that same 
I guess the same energy and that same, uh, I guess, gumption that it took you to get to where you are. Um, I think that a few things that kind of set people up for success as educators is one, knowing the kind of educator that you want to become. Hmm. So taking the time to actually map out where you want to end up, I think is a really great place to start. So if you are somebody who feels a need to um, work one-on-one with people because you just, you feel like that's where your strengths are. If you are more of like a small group educator or maybe you want to do everything in person versus nothing in person. So that really starting there is something that can really set you up for success uh, as as an educator within this uh, photography industry, within the creative industry. It's kind of like being a photographer, right? Like the more specificity yes. in, in many cases, the better brand that you're able to create because you're working toward a very specific goal. Absolutely. And in that, you're able to kind of grow those really strong characteristics. Um, a couple others would be as you mentioned, like what are, where are your presentation skills? There are best practices for communicating education. Just so our, like the listeners that you have here know, um, I didn't really introduce myself or anything because I, I didn't think about it, but, um, a lot of the, a lot of photographers go from photographer to expert photographer to educator. I went from high school teacher and curriculum designer for my school district to photographer back to educator. Hmm. So I, I've been trained as a professional teacher and educator. And through that training, I, I mean, you learn best practices and how to address a room, how to read a room, how to create slides and presentations, uh, like you mentioned before, um, how to determine if your students are tracking with you and if your audience is understanding and really absorbing your content and your information. Those are all um, really important characteristics for a successful teacher. I would say those are kind of the top things for any format of education that you really want to work on on cultivating and on growing your skills in. And I have to say, just throw in an apology here for not introducing you. I'm so used to just jumping into conversation in these podcasts, and I'm so turned off by the kind of robotic, here, let's read a resume of the of the guest on the show that I've heard elsewhere, that, that I tend to avoid doing that. But I could at least introduce you on a basic level, Aileen. I, I apologize oh, gosh, for not no. doing that. Oh, gosh, no. No, not at all. I mean, I've already been here, so I feel like I'm just coming home, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's a really cool thing to hear. But I, I will at least throw out there for everybody listening in, if you do go to Laylee, L-A-Y-L-E-E-E-M-A-D-I, Laylee amadi.com and then um, on instagram it's going to be Laylee underscore amadi e-m-a-d-i on instagram we'll link to both of these in the show notes uh, you can also get to know Laylee a little bit better there but um, please continue i know that you, you started with being clear about the kind of educator that you want to be um, ultimately knowing what you want out of life and then your business i mean this is a great place to start and it, and it holds true when it comes to education learning good presentation skills. And speaking of, Laylee, do you, I mean, first of all, you you are offering resources that help educators become better educators. Um, and, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit more detail. But were there certain resources that were valuable to you over time that you can maybe recommend to our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's interesting because I, I created these resources that I now offer because I I saw that there weren't really any for for our creative industry, for our photography industry. Okay, uh, I I have not yet found any true. I mean, I've seen there are uh, obviously speaker trainings and a lot of spe- a lot of public speaking training out there, but there's very little about um, creating 
you know, a curriculum that is effective and efficient. And with that being something that I was trained in through my public school teacher trainings, um, I'm kind of trying to marry the two and, and bridge that gap for creatives who have something to offer, but who don't necessarily know how to do it. And so I wish that I could share, um, some some outside recommendations. There's Jess Ekstrom is a public speaker. Uh, she works only with women, so uh, female public speakers, because there is such a big gap in the public speaking industry. Uh, she does really great trainings. There are some really great public speaker trainings out there, but in terms of creating other educational offerings, I, I haven't seen much that really teaches potential teachers how to teach. That's kind of where the gap has been. And, and that I think that really that's why we've seen this transition that you touched on in the beginning of this conversation of people kind of not really knowing how to approach quality education and quality offerings because they're kind of just recreating what they've seen. And if we continue to recreate what we see, it's just kind of like poor man's version into poor man's version and so on and so forth. And it just dilutes down into, you know, that, that non- efficient and effective education. Yeah, that's that's actually wow. I mean, that's kind of a powerful statement actually, and I hadn't really thought of it that way, but you're right. There's a there's a tendency for us to emulate in our industry, and that's not just true in the photography side. That's that's even true it seems in the in the presentation or, or education side as well. So, yeah, taking a step back and and certainly looking for resources outside of the photography industry, if they don't really exist outside of Lely's um, in the photography industry, but looking outside, I mean, I, I actually have a book. And in fact, I literally, as, as you were talking lately, I went ahead and downloaded it. I'm going to dig into this before the next time I speak. There is a book called The Presentation Secrets of Steve Jobs. I actually bought it quite some time ago. I, if, if anybody here has ever or not ever seen any of the presentations that Steve Jobs, uh, former CEO and uh, owner of, of Apple, would do, especially around the iPhone. I mean, like the, the iPhone, when it first came out, it's kind of the iconic presentation or one of them anyway. Um, <laughs> but going back and looking at his presentation style, you know, you're talking about somebody who wasn't naturally high energy, uh, command attention to the room because he's loud and boisterous. This is somebody who had kind of a quiet presence on stage. Um, but the, the design of his slides combined with the way that he approached the presentation, the way he would communicate these, these big ideas um, and by the way, those slides, in, in many cases anyway, were quite minimal in nature. One element on the screen, uh, just a picture, not paragraphs of words to go along with a picture, a paragraph, you know, all five points listed out uh, at one time, but like an individual image to represent an idea. It's kind of fascinating to watch. But nonetheless, there is a book. I'll throw it out there. I hesitate to recommend it because I haven't personally read it yet, but there are certainly resources when it comes to to speaking education. Maybe go do some searching online and look for some good reviews and get into that. But uh, it ultimately lately offers um, a resource or resources now as well. And we'll share more details about that here at the end of our conversation. Uh, let's, let's, uh, do you have any other characteristics that you want to mention beyond, uh, beyond those couple that we, that we discussed? Yeah. I mean, I feel like just kind of harping a little bit more on those previous factors that I, that I brought up. I, I do feel that one of the big characteristics that I probably left out in that uh, initial answer was just kind of making sure that anything that you're doing has been tr like tried and true and 
you have seen continued success in whatever it is that you're wanting to teach Mm. and then have actually made the effort to teach it to somebody else. And I don't mean that in a formal way. I just mean, it's basically, if I'm breaking it down to like a very, very basic statement, it's a practice makes perfect kind of situation. So I think just making sure that in terms of presenting and educating that you are a practiced educator. Yeah. You know, this is interesting. I, I, I think both of my kids now have done this. They, they come to talk to me about something. My, my son's 18. He's about to graduate high school. My daughter's about to turn 15. She's a freshman, but they'll come and talk to me about something and they'll, they'll kind of break it down just like they may have heard in a video or learned in class or read in the book or whatever the, the, the instance might've been, but they communicate it to me. And I, I can tell as they're getting into it, that they're, they're essentially rehearsing the idea to me out loud. And, and in a way kind of, I guess, solidifying the concept or concepts for themselves. But then that, that action, that activity of sharing the ideas with me is helping in that, in that regard. And that I think is a great example of how, as Laylee just pointed out, you can go about at at the very least on a one-on-one scale, sitting, having coffee with somebody, or you're at a networking meeting, you get a chance to talk to someone sharing or beginning to share these these ideas with somebody so you actually have practice sharing them that's a really great first step it's not that you know i it, you, you see these um job opportunities pop up here and there for various companies and they say you must have experience in order to do this thing and of course the natural question is well how do i get experience if i don't get the job to get the experience in the first place and that's not really the situation here you can you can essentially practice by just talking to a friend or a family member and sharing the ideas with them and making sure that they flow well and then asking them if it made sense and then going back and tweaking and then talking to somebody else and trying it out again there are ways that you can go about practicing communicating effectively in a way that resonates with other people without having to stand up on stage absolutely i mean i think that a lot of times we think that something has to be really formal in order to claim it as experience. But I think that there's a lot to be said for, you know, informal efforts, like whether it is just doing that whole coffee date thing or, you know, and we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll dive into that with like, you know, action steps that people can take. But I think there's a lot to be said for that informal um, training. Yeah. And we'll get to those action steps in just a second. But before I do, let me just ask you first, what, like at what point does, I mean, if, if our listeners thus far resonate with what we're suggesting are good characteristics or what you were suggesting are good characteristics for an educator potentially, um, and they're like, okay, I, I kind of want to move in that direction. I feel like my motives in the right place. These, these motives actually align with my bigger picture, personal and, and business goals. Um, and I do have something of value to add that I ha- that's based on my personal experience that's been proven, that's repeatable. What, when do they begin to make the move? How do they know when to make the move in the direction of trying to get into education in one format or in another? I think that's um, it's a great question. It's kind of a loaded question, but I feel like if you're sitting there listening and thinking like, okay, I, I do think I'm a good fit. Like I do think that this is, this is what I want to do. It's something that I'm passionate about. I mean, I guess I would say if you feel that you are truly an expert in what you're offering – start now. I mean, and, and when I say start, I don't necessarily mean like go jump to charging a million people for, you know, for investing with you in education, but start with your low level action steps. Like I, I always like to say, I, I really hate 
and this is kind of an unpopular opinion in today's society of like, go for it. Like you're enough. You can do it. Um, fake it till you make it. Fake it till you make it will not work here. Like it's just not going to work. You're putting yourself and, and other people in a really unethical situation. If you're like, okay, I feel like I could be an educator. I'm going to open up one-on-one mentoring sessions with me. I'm going to charge for it. I'm just going to go for it. Right. And I do think that, that that's kind of where we are in, in social media in our, in our industry, in our society of like, just jump, just jump. Like what's stopping you? I think that you can start today by doing like a few really clear cut action steps and, and building up into the role of educator. But yeah, I would say if you feel like you're ready to move, then, then start moving, just move in the right way. But I guess the the potential deterrent then would be kind of we're, we're getting back to the characteristics again. Do do you fulfill these characteristics that you were talking about? Do you have, you know, whatever the topic might be, do you have actual experience in your business with this topic? Have you seen repeatable success from it? And ideally, not just internally, but outside as well. Mm-hmm. And then are you able to, do, do you understand the basic principles behind communicating effectively, communicating an idea, a concept to somebody effectively, at least starting in that place versus just kind of blindly jumping just because they read an Instagram post that said, you're enough. I mean, and, and to be clear, I'm exaggerating there, but you're right. We see a lot of that these days. And and I think not just in education, but in general, I, we've we've gotten so carried away with that message that at the end of the day, we're getting a compromised version of an educator. We're getting a compromised version, even of the human being that, that this person potentially could, because everybody's so obsessed with the idea of being enough. We can be enough and simultaneously continue to learn and continue to improve for the sake of not only bettering our own life, but ultimately adding value to others. And if somebody's going to pay to hear you at a conference, they're going to pay to hear your webinar, they're going to pay to take a course. Um, I hope that you're bringing actual, tangible, practical value and you're able to present that in a way that is going to be easily understood that will resonate with the viewer or the listener. It's really important to make sure you're in a good place in those regards uh, before you make that move. So I'm glad that you highlight those characteristics, Laylee. But on a more practical, kind of tangible level, speaking of, what are some next actions when it comes to actually making a move into education? And, and to be clear, there are various directions we can go. So, I mean, does it really start with like, what platform am I moving in the direction of first? How do you, how do you I guess, order this whole process? Yeah. So, I mean, breaking down the process of deciding where you want to, where you want to end up is, is obviously really important. I always, if I could just make a blanket recommendation, I would always recommend starting with one-on-one first, even if you don't want to be a one-on-one coach or mentor forever, nothing can replace, like there's literally nothing that can replace finding the needs of the one. So starting with and also I would just I would also like to pose the fact that there is nothing as forgiving as a one-on-one interaction. So a couple of action steps uh, to answer that would be and please don't hate me for saying this because I am so imp- I I really do emphasize that we should value what we're putting out there and I don't really believe in working for free very often, but I'm going to pose that you need to offer your content up for free in the beginning. You need to train people to see you as an expert, to see you as a go-to resource for whatever it is that you're teaching. Um so whether that's doing, you know, live videos or blog posts or providing resources or, you know, putting out some some guides if it is doing, you know, the the thing that we see on Facebook all the time that people are like, don't ever go on coffee days and let people pick your brain. 
Well, if you're just starting out as an educator, you should be going on coffee dates and letting people pick your brain. That's like how you build up Hmm. what it is that you really should be teaching and how you should be teaching it. So that's kind of action step one would be offering up free content in whatever format it is that you feel comfortable to start with. Uh, The second one would be really um, developing kind of case studies and getting really good feedback. Mm. Um, When I say good feedback, I don't mean that their feedback for you has to be positive. I mean, it needs to be honest. And so making sure that you're really getting um, specific questions, specific feedback, checking in after you've given out that free content, you've done those free meetings and making sure that you're saying, you know, in traditional education, we call it assessment. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a way to gauge if yeah. what you're offering is working, right? So that would be kind of like my next action step is you've put out the free content, give it some time, circle back, ask for specific feedback, really check in, make sure it's effective, make sure it's impactful, that's good. make sure it's lasting. Yeah, that's good. And then a, a third and you know final like easy action step would be to survey your audience and make sure that as you're putting out that content, um, that A, is it helpful? And B, does it align with what you're planning on offering? And I just, a caveat to that would be, when I say survey your audience, I really, one thing that has been just kind of like a pet peeve of mine lately, a lot of people will be like, just put a poll on Instagram. Okay, I'm going to be real. Nobody's going to give you negative feedback on your Instagram stories. (laughs) It's very rare. I see all the time people are like, what would you guys think if I started a blog on X, Y, and Z? And then they put like the two options. Nobody is going to be mean enough to be like, go home. Like, you know, so you want to make sure that you're, that you're intentionally serving your audience through your email list, through, through one-on-one conversations, you know, slide into those DMs as the kids say, I sound so old, but really, you know, pop into people's messages and inboxes and, and have one-on-one conversations and get real feedback to see how you can grow and how you can improve what you're offering. And what's the difference, create a distinction for me, if you don't mind, and for our listeners too, between the feedback, the individual feedback that you're getting from the people that you've offered advice to, and then kind of this broader surveying of a larger group of people to get their feedback. What's the big distinction between the two? Absolutely. I think the biggest distinction here is like the amount of specificity. So if I'm working with somebody one-on-one, we've delved into things that, um, that are helping their business. They've asked me questions. I've answered them. I've advised them on very, on things specific to them and their business. Um, and so my follow-up questions should reflect that okay. as opposed to kind of doing a blanket survey of, is this something that um, you want to learn from me? I mean, there's kind of two ways you can do it, right? You can say, is, is this, is X, Y, and Z something that you feel you would want to learn from me or having kind of an open-ended question of what is it that you think I can help you with, you know? And so that, that kind of blanket survey versus the specific follow-up yes. of when I gave you this advice, did you apply it and how did it impact your business? That's good. And then that, that makes sense. And, you know, maybe if I can add just a little bit to that too, that the, the oh, yeah. if, if there is, as you're doing that survey, maybe initially it's, Hey, does that make this, does this content, would it be valuable to you? Um, but then as you become an educator, if that ends up being the case, then you can continue to survey them and say, um, and, and to make sure that you're in touch, I guess, with the audience 
to potentially adjust the presentation as you go. Because the last thing you want is for that presentation to become stagnant or stale, ultimately irrelevant because it's two years old and the industry has progressed so significantly since in this particular realm that it, it doesn't actually make a lot of sense for you to continue to say the same things over and over again. So do you think there's some significance to it in, in that realm too, making sure that you stay relevant as far as the way the content is presented? Oh, I love that you've brought that up because I truly do think, I mean, I, if you are not continually updating your education as an educator, if you're already in that um, position, then you're doing a disservice to your students. I mean, obviously there are some things that, you know, if it's, it depends on your, your business model, of course, and like the course model, but if you are doing something that should be ongoing, I mean, it's a living and breathing thing. We see changes in our industry so rapidly, so quickly that it is your responsibility as an educator to keep up with them and to continue to make those adjustments and changes and updates. Cool. Well, I, I will leave the conversation at that. I feel like I've in some ways been kind of a terrible interviewer today and, and talking a little bit too much. I'm so excited about this topic. Um, and I and really, it's not discussed enough in the industry. I mean, it, it's, it seems like the industry has is, is functioned the same way for, for so long. And there hasn't been a lot of effort at educating the educators. Again, we're putting a lot yeah, of photographers no. who aren't educators in the position of educator, which ultimately, I, again, I don't want to minimize the significance of that, but I think there has been a detraction in the value that they can potentially bring because they're, they don't have context for what it means to be an educator and how to effect, most effectively present, again, whether that's on stage or online or, or otherwise. So I'm glad that we're beginning this conversation. Uh, forgive me for my, my ramblings, uh, but I really appreciate oh, no. your perspective lately, especially with your experience in education. And um, it, to, to close the conversation here, will you share with our listeners just a little bit about the education that you are offering photographers who are getting into this realm and, and how they can find out more information about it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and just just to say, I, I don't mind at all. I've loved having this conversation. I love hearing your your perspective on it as well as somebody who's been in the industry for as long as you have been. It's it's refreshing. And I was really nervous to start this conversation and and to start my um, my academy. I, I To answer your question... I started a online program called the Creative Educator Academy. And basically what I'm doing is working with other creative photographers and other creative business owners on growing their abilities as educators themselves okay. um, through the course and through ongoing, um, you know, our ongoing community and things like that. And so I do think it's so important, but it, it was, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I was nervous to start the conversation because for so long I felt that there was like, this really weird kind of almost perceived hierarchy that mm. doesn't need to be there yeah. where if you're truly just wanting to become like an amazing educator, there should be resources for you to be able to pursue that. And it should not be from a place of, of this person is up on a pedestal and I need to get there kind of thing. So no, I've loved having this conversation and, and I appreciate you having me on to chat about it because I know that we could ruffle a few feathers from both from both sides, from people who are starting education and for people who are, you know, established educators in our industry. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I think um, knowing you as I do, and and all I can do is communicate how I feel. Ultimately, Lee and I just want to add value um, at the end of the day. And and so while the conversation may be a little bit of a sensitive one, I'm glad that we've we've brought this to the table. I'm glad that we're putting it out there. Uh, I'm, lately, I'm glad that that you're bringing your experience. You're not just making up some course to put online. You actually bring your personal experience as an educator, as a teacher, 
and you're helping other photographers learn how to be better educators, we'll link to that resource, your website, Instagram, all in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. And uh, I again, thank you so much for making time for all of us today. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much for listening to the Boca Podcast. Will you let us know what you thought by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit Milu, M-I-I-L-U dot com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit photographersedit.com.